Well, good morning. It's good to see you here as we worship our God together. I don't see any first-time visitors or any visitors among us, uh, but we're glad you are all here. On the back of your bulletins are the announcements. I think they are pretty self-explanatory. I would encourage you to read them so that you don't call me this week and ask me about what's going on so-and-so. So um, if you have any questions about them, see us. We will be having lunch together, and then following lunch, we will gather around the Lord's table for our afternoon service. So I trust that's all that needs to be said with regard to the announcements. Micah, the prophet, asked this question, speaking about God. Who is like you? And the reason Micah asked that question is because judgment has been pronounced because of rebellion and disobedience. But Micah had hope. Micah had hope in the goodness and the mercy and the grace of God. So when Micah asks the question, he then answers it this way. You who pardon iniquity, who passes over the rebellious acts of the remnant of his possession, he does not retain his anger forever because he delights in unchanging love. God is a God of mercy and grace. And for that, we gather here this morning to worship and to praise His name. Will you take a moment just to prepare your hearts to worship a merciful God? Now then, inside your bulletin is the call to worship. It comes from the 107th Psalm, in which the psalmist continually reminds his readers, as well as us, that God is a God of loving kindness, a God of mercy, which is forever. Will you stand with me and let us call one another to worship this morning? O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his loving kindness is everlasting. Let every king of the Lord say so, for we have to be 
Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness, for the wonders to the sons of men. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. Well, now let us take heed to that admonition and let us give thanks and sing with joyful songs, taking our Trinity hymn books and turning to number four. Number four, all praise to God who reigns above the God of all creation. Number four, Trinity Hymn Book.
Let us bow in prayer. Father God, we do come before you today and want to give you thanks for the wonderful mercies and grace that you have shown us throughout this last week, for bringing us through all what you have brought through. We thank you for setting aside this day for us that we may put many of our responsibilities down and have a day of rest and focus upon you and all that you have done for us. We pray that uh, as we have gathered that you would speak to us as your word is opened and read and preached, that it would strengthen those who have been made part of your family and that it would call those who are not yet a part of your family into your family this day. Whether they be here throughout the world as this goes all over um, on the internet, we pray, Lord, that you would use it and call those whom you have elected to call. Pray for our pastor as he delivers the word that you would be with him. May he uh, speak the truth and may he um, preach with boldness. May you give us hearts to not only hear and listen, but to respond to what you tell us today. Thank you for these things. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Now take your hymns of grace and turn to 181. A fairly new song for us. We've sung it before. His robes for mine. 181. Hymns of grace.
Turn in your Bibles to Luke 22. Luke 22, we're going to be starting at verse 35 this morning. Last week we read the first 35 verses and we read about, just so you remember where we're at, uh, the, the Last Supper, um, the conversation uh, with Peter about his denial. Um, this morning we'll be reading about um, the betrayal of Judas. The prayer of Christ and the arrest of Jesus. This is just one thing that I would point out. Um, one of the Bibles I have is uh, quotes from a lot of the church historians uh, as the notes. And one thing I noticed that they pointed out was the difference between Judas and Peter. They both somewhat denied Christ. Judas betrayed Christ and denied Him. But Peter, even though he denied Him, did it in a much different way. It was He still followed Him, even though it was at a distance. Um, he still wanted and uh, desired to follow after Christ, even though the fear somewhat overtook Him. Um, but their hearts were totally different. And you see that um, even as you read further in the story of Luke, um, and how they responded to that denial. Judas basically grabbed hold of it and, and let it take him. Peter came to Christ and repented. Um, and so there is a difference. Um, so I guess to say that even when we feel our faith is waning or not quite so strong, may we take Peter's example and come to him in, in a repentant heart. Um, for the forgiveness of our sin. Luke 22, starting at verse 35. Then Jesus said to them, When I sent you out with no money bag or traveler's bag or sandals, you didn't lack anything, did you? They replied, Nothing. He said to them, But now the one who has a money bag must take it, and likewise traveler's bag too. And the one who has no sword must sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me, and he was counted with the transgressors. For what is written about me is being fulfilled. So they said, Look, Lord, here are two swords. And then he, then he told them, It is enough. Then Jesus went out and made his way, as he customarily did, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. When he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He went away from them about a stone's throw, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup away from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And in his anguish he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. And when he got up from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping, exhausted from grief. So he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Get up and pray that you will not fall into temptation. And while he was still speaking, suddenly a crowd appeared and a man named Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He walked up to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? When those who were around him saw what was about to happen, they said, Lord, should we use our swords? 
And one of the men struck the high priest's slave, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus said, Enough of this! And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard, and the elders who had come out to him, Have you come out with swords and clubs like you would against an outlaw? Day after day, when I was with you in the temple courts, you did not arrest me, but this is your hour and that of the power of darkness. Then they arrested Jesus, led him away, and brought him into the high priest's house. But Peter was following at a distance. When they had made a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. And the slave girl, seeing him as he sat in the firelight, stared at him and said, This man was with him too. But Peter denied it. Woman, I don't know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You are one of them too. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after about an hour, still another insisted, Certainly this man was with him, because he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. At that moment, while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. Then the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter, and Peter remembered the word of the Lord and how he had said to him, Before a rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Now the men who were holding Jesus under guard began to mock him and beat him. They blindfolded him and asked him repeatedly, Prophesy, who hit you? They also said many other things against him, reviling him. When day came, the council of the elders of the people gathered together, both the chief priests and the experts in the law. Then they led Jesus away to the council and said, If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. So they all said, Are you the Son of God then? And he answered them, You say that I am. Then they said, Why do we need further testimony? We have heard it ourselves from his own lips. As we seek God together in prayer, once again we want to pray especially for the Christian Compassion Ministry, which is under the oversight of the Cabal Reformed Baptist Church there in Quazon City in the Philippines. And so we want to pray for the church, but in particular this past Wednesday we had a report from the Christian Compassion Ministry, which is a ministry that, that deals with children who either live in the slums or, in or, or orphans and pray that God would use that in their lives, even to bring them unto himself at a young age. So let us seek our God together in prayer this morning. Our Father in heaven, as your word is read to us this morning, we are reminded of the fickleness often of our own hearts. Father, we would confess to you that the battle that we gauge in, the battle which is a spiritual battle, it's not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers of this world, it's a battle that's raged against our own flesh and the world in which we live. 
Father, we want to stand. We want to be strong. And yet oftentimes we feel our own weaknesses and we would confess that oftentimes we give in. Thank you for being a God of grace, for being a God of mercy. Thank you for the confidence that we have. Though we may be shifted like wheat, you will bring us back. We are your children. And Father, how we pray that as we live in the midst of this conflict, in the midst of this battle, that we would be diligent to put on that full armor of God so that we might be able to stand. So, Father, we pray that we would diligently guard our own hearts, that we would pursue a greater godliness and holiness in our own lives, that we would put to death sin when it immediately appears, so that, Father, we might be faithful to You all the days of our lives. And Father, we pray that You would be with those believers who are far from us. We thank You for the Cabal Reformed Baptist Church there in the Philippines. We thank You for Pastor Ellis and Pastor Mon. Father, we're thankful that they have a concern not only for your church, but even for those who are vulnerable. Thank you for the Christian Compassion Ministry and for the many orphans and children that live in the slums that they're able to have contact with. We thank you for their desire to see them receive an education to see that their health care is taken care of, to see that they have food for their bellies. Father, how we pray that you'll continue to use that ministry, that ministry of benevolence, but also that ministry in which you give them opportunities to share the gospel. And may you bless that to the end that your kingdom would be added added to by those who come in faith and repentance to you. So, Father, we pray your continual blessing upon that work and that service. Father, we would pray that as we look into your word, it is our desire that you would meet with us. We have the assurance that as we gather together, there you are in the midst of us. And Father, we pray this morning as your word goes forth that the Spirit of God and the Word of God would be that which brings your presence among us to do us good. Father, we we plead, do not leave us alone. But draw near, we pray. And may our time together bring glory to your great name. As we ask all these things, in the name which is above every name, our, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Now before we come to look into God's Word, take your Trinity hymn books once again, turning to 409, hymn 409, a hymn that speaks about the reality that we're before God, before thee God, who knowest all, with grief and shame, 
I prostrate fall. God knows all of us gathered in this place. He knows our hearts. And knowing that, it should lead us to quick repentance where sin is revealed. 409. Stand together as we sing. Take your Bibles and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy chapter 30. It is my desire to get through the whole chapter this morning. We'll see how that goes. But to begin with, just let me read... Two verses in your hearing, verses 19 and 20. Deuteronomy chapter 30, 19 and 20. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. So choose life in order that you may live you and your descendants, by loving the Lord your God, by obeying His voice, by holding fast to Him, for this is your life, 
and the length of your days, that you may live in the land which the Lord swore to your father Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give them. Have you ever wondered what you might say to loved ones, to friends, to family, if you knew that you were not going to see their face ever again after a week's time? What, what would you want to say to them? What, what would you want to express to them? What would be on your heart? Well, Moses knows of that reality. He knows in just a little while, he would never see the faces of the children of Israel again on earth. And so he's got a message. And really his message is the whole of the book of Deuteronomy. But, but his, messages, or his message can be cut into three parts. And when we come to the final part of his message, Moses is concerned for the children of Israel. He's been with them 40 years. He knows the pattern of their lives. He has seen what has happened, even as they marched around in the wilderness. He has watched a generation fall away and never make it into the promised land because of their rebellion, because of their disobedience. And now he's talking to another generation. Many of them might have a little inkling of what Egypt was like and living in bondage, but they've certainly heard about it. And, and Moses is concerned about what's going to happen to them. And will they be like their forefathers? Will they be faithful and devoted and committed to Jehovah, to Yahweh? And so, starting in chapter 28, Moses begins to give his passionate appeal to the children of Israel. He, ha he has reminded them that, that if you obey, there will be blessing. If you disobey, there will be a curse, a judgment. God will cast you away. In chapter 29, he, he, he sets before them, first of all, a reminder of God's goodness, of God's power, 
of God's greatness, which they have witnessed with their eyes. They have seen what God can do. They ate manna that fell from heaven. They were guided by a cloud and fire. They, they watched the Red Sea opened up and they crossed on dry ground. And Moses reminds them of the greatness of Yahweh. But then he expresses a genuine concern that he has for them. And that genuine concern is this. Do you have a heart, I mean a, a sincere heart, towards God? Are you a people devoted to Him? His fear was, as he expressed it in chapter 29, is that some of you will have a heart that's far from God, and yet you'll walk around and talk about, oh, I'm at peace with God, while your heart is far away from Him. And so he warns them, once again, of the reality of God's judgment, if you disobey. And that warning was no doubt somewhat terrifying as you read through it. Look at chapter 29, verse 25. And then the men will say, Because they forsook the covenant of the Lord, the God of their fathers, which He had made with them when He brought them out of the land of Egypt, and they went and served other gods and worshipped them, gods whom they have not known and whom they had not allotted, who had not been allotted to them. Therefore, the anger of the Lord burned against the land to bring upon them it, bring upon it every curse which was written in the book. And the Lord uprooted them from their land in anger and in fury and in great wrath and cast them into another land as it is this day. You disobey God and God's anger will burn against you. God will bring a curse upon you and you will find yourself once again, living in bondage as you have in the past. Now, all this Moses said by way of warning. When you get in that land, beware. Take heed to this warning. Now, you can imagine if you were one of the Israelites and you knew something of the pattern of your life, you may begin to think to yourself, what hope do we have? We, we often tend to be disobedient. We often tend to be rebellious. So, so what hope is there? And Moses comes to address that question in chapter 30. Moses sets before the people the very reality that God is a God of mercy. God is a God of mercy. And, and as Moses brings this final speech to a close, he does so, I believe as you read through it, he does so with, with a, a desire to see these people rightly respond 
to what he's about to say. You know, the desire of any biblical preacher is not simply to fill your head with knowledge. A man who stands behind the holy desk, his desire isn't simply to set before you information that maybe you could feed back to him. But the preacher's desire is that God would come by His Spirit and take the Word and have you leave seeking to apply that Word to your life. That that it would have an effect upon how you live every day. If, If we leave here and you're able to set before me some outline with regard to the book of Deuteronomy, if you're able to say to me as you're walking out, over these last, I don't know, two years, I've gotten a new appreciation for the book of Deuteronomy. I've seen things I haven't seen before in the book of Deuteronomy. But it hasn't had an effect upon your life and how you live. My job, my task, is incomplete. And that's the heart of Moses. For what we have here in chapter 30 can be divided into two parts. Verses 1 to 10, we have... The promise of hope. And then in verses 11 through 20, we have a plea for action. So he's going to give them this information, which will give them hope. But then he's going to lead it to an application which he trusts will affect their lives. So notice with me as we open up this text or this passage, first of all, the promise of hope. Follow as I read the first ten verses. And so it shall be when all these things have come upon you, the blessings and the curse which I set before you, and you... Call them to mind in all nations where the Lord your God has banished you, and you return to the Lord your God, and obey Him with all your heart and with all your soul, according to all that I command you today, you and your sons, then the Lord your God will restore you from captivity, and have compassion on you, and will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If your outcasts are at the ends of the earth, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there He will bring you back. The Lord your God will bring you into the land which your fathers possessed, and you shall possess it. And He will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart 
and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. And the Lord your God will inflict all these curses on your enemies and those who hate you, who persecute you. And you shall again obey the Lord and observe all His commandments which I command you today. And then the Lord your God will prosper you abundantly in all the work of your hand, in the offspring of your body, and in the offspring of your cattle, and in your produce of your ground. For the Lord your God again rejoice over you for good, just as He rejoiced over your fathers. If you obey the Lord your God to keep His commandments, His statutes, which are written in this book of the law, if you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Here Moses gives to the children of Israel the promise of hope. He says to them by way of surmising, when all these things come to pass, when, when all these things have come upon you, blessings and curse, and then he sort of thinks about, what about that curse? What about that curse? When, when Moses is thinking about Israel's future, he's thinking about them disobeying and following, and, and, and end up falling underneath the judgment of God. Mr. Stewart, in his commentary, says this, they would enter the promised land of Cana and enjoy its bounty but they would lose it all because of their unfaithfulness. God's blessing would be swallowed up by God's curse. They would even find themselves again living in captivity. Now, you know, you and I know the rest of the story. You and I know what's going to happen when they go into the land that they were promised. You and I know if in Sunday school about the judges that will come because of their unfaithfulness. But I want you to pretend as though you did not have Joshua and Judges and you're standing there somewhat excited that, that you're going to go into this land that's been promised you. You're going to go into this land flowing with milk and honey. You're going to go in this land that has been promised to your forefathers from way back. You're going to enter that land. And Moses says, before you go in, I want you to consider what happens if you're unfaithful. What happens if you go in and you enjoy the bounty for a while and then turn your heart away from God and you experience His judgment? And Moses is saying to them, my friends, there is still hope if there is repentance. There is deliverance from the misery that comes with judgment when you repent and turn away. And what we have here is three things with regard to that hope. First of all, 
what I'm calling the foundation of that hope. The foundation. And in the first five verses, how will this come to pass? How is it that they will turn away from their sins and turn back to God? And the answer to that question comes to us here in this passage. He says here, The blessings and the curse which I have set before you, and you will call them to mind. In the midst of of living under God's judgment and living in captivity, as it were, God will bring to your mind His Word. And God will bring to your mind what I imagine Moses is saying. God will bring to your mind what you're probably sick and tired of hearing from me. And that is, if you obey, then there's blessing. If you disobey, there's a curse. So as you live under God's judgment, these words that will come to your mind... Words that perhaps for a time you tried to block out. You tried to pretend as though you were ignorant. But God will bring them to your mind. And you will begin to seriously consider them. Why am I in this miserable state? Why has God been so hard against me? Why am I going through this? And then you'll remember, oh, I remember we were told, you forsake me. There will be misery that follows. Misery that follows. May I say this? This is why it's absolutely important that we teach our children the Word of God. This is why it's absolutely important that we have our children sitting under the Word of God. And sometimes you may think to yourself as those children are squirming and you're sitting, come on, sit down, listen. You may say, oh, but my friend... They need to take God's Word and hear God's Word so that as they grow up, that Word will not return void, but it will have an effect upon them, sometimes in ways that we never imagine. Sometimes when they seem to be walking away and they're like the prodigal going off to a far city and suddenly God brings the Word to mind and it has an effect upon them. It is the importance of hearing the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. How shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed to God's Word. God's Word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. And so the foundation of this hope that they will return, is that the Word of God will be brought back to their minds. Children, 
That's why it's important that you memorize the Word of God. Meditate upon the Word of God. Young people, hide God's Word in your heart. Even us old folks, even though it's harder, we need to take God's Word and hide it in our hearts that the Spirit may use it to bring to mind His truth. So that's the foundation of this hope. What's the source of this hope? What's the source? Well, verse 6, Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all that you might live. For such a return to take place, there needs to be a change of heart. And here Moses says, God's going to circumcise your heart. I don't know if he fully comprehended what's in that statement. But it certainly seems to be pointing to the new covenant where God says, I will circumcise their hearts so that they will all know me from the least to the greatest. And you will not have to say to them, know the Lord, for they will all know the Lord. God has to do a work of circumcising a man's heart. Back in chapter 29, Moses has warned them about a heart that's turned away from him. Be careful not to allow your heart to be turned away from them. God wants our hearts. God wants our. He wants the sincerity. He doesn't want a a token nod. He doesn't want a half-hearted agreement. He wants you to follow Him with all your heart. That 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 theme is seen over and over again, even in this chapter, verse two. And you return to the Lord your God and obey Him with all your heart and with all your soul. Verse 6, Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. Verse 10, If you obey the Lord your God to keep His commandments and His statutes which are written in this book, of the law, if you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. God wants sincere, wholehearted allegiance and devotion to Him. And sometimes professing believers think that as long as I give Him a tip of the hat, as long as I may show up to church every so often, as long as I'm not doing some grossly immoral act, God must be satisfied. But my friends, it's not a matter of a token appeal to God. It is an issue of a wholehearted devotion to God. Do you know something of that in your own life? So we've seen the foundation of this hope, the source of this hope, and then finally we hear the results of such a hope. The results. So what happens? When God's Word comes back to the mind and and God circumcises the heart, what takes place? What takes place? Well, first of all, we're told that Yahweh responds by, first of all, He will remove 
He will remove. He says here, He will afflict all these curses on your enemies and on those who hate you and persecute you. And then He will bless. Then the Lord your God will prosper you abundantly in all the work of your hand. And then He will delight. The Lord will again rejoice over you for good. For good. Think about that. God rejoices over His children. He delights in them. I wonder, as we think about our lives... Does God take delight in what He sees? In our behavior, in our words, does God delight in these things? It's interesting, the same terminology, God delights in you, was used back in chapter 28 in verse 63. Back in Deuteronomy 28 and verse 63, we read these words, The Lord will delight over you to make you perish and destroy you. Interesting. Talking about their rebellion. God will delight in destroying you. Sounds strange to the ears, doesn't it? You know why He delights in destroying the wicked? Because He delights in justice. He delights in justice. But here the promise is that He will delight in you for good. Not for you to perish or be destroyed, but for good. When you turn to God, He delights in you. And Zephaniah, anticipating the fulfillment of this promise, Zephaniah predicts in the midst of God's judgment that the Lord would rejoice over the people of Judah with singing when He restores them after their captivity. He will rejoice over them again as they return to Him. So here we have the promise of hope. The promise of hope that comes with genuine repentance and a heart that seeks after God. But then... From verses 11 through 20, we have what I've just called his plea for action. His plea for action. Having given, having given to his hearers this word of promise, he ends with how he desires his hearers to respond. Here, here's what he wants to see happen. So Moses goes from the return of Israel from their rebellion in the coming days to the response of his hearers in the present. How should they now respond to all this? And he says to them there in verse 15, See, I have set before you today life and prosperity and death and adversity. I've given you this contrast. Life and prosperity, death and adversity. I want 
You know what? You know what Moses' concluding message to these people was? It's simply this: I want you to have life. I want you to live. Now you may sit back and say, "Wait a minute, is he talking to corpses?" What do you mean? I want you to live. No, to have real life, and real life is found in a relationship with God. This is life eternal, that you know Me. He wants them to know God. He wants them to live for God. He wants them to serve God. I mean, that's the gist of the book of Deuteronomy. It is a call to love, obey, and serve God. And so He says, I'm giving you this contrast. Life or death. And then He says, choose life in order that you might live. Choose life. Do you ever have any of your young people when, when you say, you know, they can't do something? You know, they want to go out with friends. They want to do some things you're not crazy about. And you say, no, no. You, and, and they say to you, man, I just want to live, Mom. Mom, let me live my life. Our answer should be, I do. I want you to live. I want you to live in Christ. I want you to be united to God. That's life. That's what I want. I want you to live life. And so it comes to them. And he, and he makes this contrast. And, and he says, you ought to live life. And, and he says, you ought to live life because of its availability. It's availability. Look at verse 11. For this commandment which I command you today is not too difficult for you, nor is it out of reach. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will go to heaven for us to get it for us and make us hear it that we may observe it. Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will cross the sea for us and get it for us and make us hear it that we may observe it? But the word is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that you may observe it. You want a relationship with God? This is my desire for you, Moses is saying. And you know what? It's obtainable. It, it's available. It's there. And I'm not asking you to do the impossible. I'm not asking you to do that which you could never do. But it's very much near you. It's here. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. Seek God. He says to them, it's in, within your reach. It's right there. This is not a secret. It's not something hidden. Hear and obey God's voice. Paul uses this same argument in Romans chapter 10. He, he says to his hearers, that the truth that he's proclaimed concerning the work of Jesus Christ is accessible. You don't have to go to seminary. You don't have to have a Ph.D. You can do this. 
It's not an impossible feat. You don't have to climb to heaven. You don't have to go to the depths of the sea. It's provided. And Paul's argument is this. Christ is the answer. Run to Christ. He says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, that that you might be saved. It's right here. Now, no one's saying it's easy as far as the cost. But it's available. It's here. And some have sat in this place week after week. Some have heard the Word week after week. And and you still... I want to go to heaven. I I want to be received by by God. I, I want to have a relationship to Him. And you've been convinced that, that, that it only takes place if, if you're able to obtain certain things in your life. That it, somehow you've got to perform to His expectation. And if you perform well enough, then you'll be accepted by Him. And the answer to that is, no, my friend, Christ has paid it all. Run to Him in faith and repentance. And He stands ready to save. He's not asking you to do the impossible. The Word is near you. Run to Him. Believe in Him. It's not an impossible task. So He encourages them to choose life because of its availability. Secondly, He causes them to choose life because of the alternative. Of its alternative. Look at verse 15. See, I have set before you today life and prosperity and death and adversity, in that I have commanded you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in His ways, to keep His commandments and His statutes and His judgments, that you may live and multiply, and that the Lord your God may bless you in the land where you are entering to possess it. But if your heart turns away, And you will not obey, but are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them. I declare to you today that you will surely perish. You will not prolong your days in the land where you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess it. you got a choice. Life or death. And here he says, choose life. It's here for you. And if you don't, you will perish. That's the alternative. There's no heaven, hell, and someplace in between. It is a relationship with God, no relationship with God. That's it. That's it. And not to know Him is to spend eternity under His wrath. And so He calls upon us to obey. And then thirdly, verses 19 and 20, choose life. And here He calls upon them for their acknowledgement. It's acknowledgement. Verses 19 and 20. 
And I called heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and the curse. So choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants, by loving the Lord your God, by obeying His voice and holding fast to Him. For this is your life, the length in your, of your days, that you may live in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. He says to them, now choose life. My closing remarks. Choose life. Follow Him. Love Him. Obey Him. And again, we come to the reality that every one of us are really under the curse. We've all disobeyed. We've all sinned. But Jesus Christ came in order that He might take the curse upon Himself. He took the curse that we deserved. So now as the children of God, we live. And that life should be marked by obedience, love, and service to Him. Is my life marked by these things? Does my life demonstrate that I love God with all my heart? Do my words demonstrate that He is my Lord, He is my King? Does my behavior indicate that I am a child of God? That's life. That's life. And so he closes this with this final appeal that the children of God would be obedient, love, and serve Him above everything else. And we live in a world where that net message needs to be sounded. Are we a people committed to Him, devoted to Him above everything else? Is our hearts bent toward Him? Is our desire to, to see His kingdom advanced here upon this earth? Is that truly our life? Well, I pray that it is. Let's pray. Father in Heaven, we, we pray that You will take Your Word and do us good. Father, there are some who said among us, there are some who are among us who do not know You. Perhaps some who have heard about You all their life. There are some who said among us who may think to themselves, I just want to live my own life. I, I, I want to live the way I want to live. And may Your Word remind them this morning that in the end, that only leads to judgment and to misery. And today, that they would seek the One who took the curse, the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and may they cry out to know of the mercy of God that's found in Christ and Christ alone. Father, we pray that as those who profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, as those who are the true people of God. Father, how we pray that 
our love for You would grow greater each day. And that where there is sin, we would be quick to confess and forsake it. Not to cover it. For Father, there's nothing that's covered that will one day not be uncovered. And so how better it is that that we confess our sins that, that we might obtain mercy. Father, how we pray that that we would be a people who love You and are devoted to You and by Your grace serve You all the days of our lives. Help us, we pray, in that endeavor. But thank You for Your mercy as we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. On closing, take your hymns of grace, turning to 365, 365 hymns of grace, ancient words ever true, 365. Let's stand together as we sing. together. I would encourage you to stay because some we didn't know weren't going to be here until a little later in the week and chicken was already ordered so there's plenty of chicken and then we're not willing we'll come up to the Lord's table after that. You are dismissed.